1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we're at today. We're going to spend three weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. Uh, if you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Take it, keep it, read it. As they pass out Bibles, I, I want us to, to know that uh, today's message is very central to everything we believe as, a Christ, as Christians. This is foundational to what we believe and where we stand as a church. We've been, over the past few weeks, looking at various spiritual gifts. Uh, those uh, may be open-handed issues. We can agree to disagree on some of those, but we cannot agree to disagree on the gospel of Jesus. And so this is what we will look at is the gospel of Jesus and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Those are the big themes we're looking at today in 1 Corinthians 15. And so we're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Um, And so first thing I want us to see here is that we are forgetful people. Christians are prone to forget. We are prone to forget. We are. uh, The Bible is is clear uh, throughout the Old Testament. God's people, what they often do, they forgot what God had done. They, 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 we see this as a refrain throughout the Old Testament of uh, God calling his people to remember the things that the Lord has done. And we see this, uh, their response being that they, they continue to be forgetful. They forgot what the Lord had done. And when they forgot what the Lord had done, what ended up happening is that generation after generation would then uh, cease to follow the Lord or the God of the Bible. And they would, they, would, they would ultimately end in ruin and misery and often being captive and enslaved to other nations. And so I want, to, I want us to see this today, is that, uh, that the first thing he has for us, he says, I want to remind you, brothers, in verse 1, I now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. He says, I preached it to you, which you received it, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached, unless you believe in vain. See, Christians are forgetful. We're forgetful people. We forget about what uh, the Bible says, what God has done. Uh, so we need a refreshment. We need a constant reminder. We need to uh, hear again and again about the gospel of Jesus and the implications of the gospel. D.A. Carson, New Testament biblical scholar, uh, is, has often said there's one generation that believes something, the next generation uh, um, assumes it, and then the third generation ultimately denies that very thing. I, I believe we are at the, the crux of this position in our day and age in the, in the, in the church in our country, is that we are at, the, at, at this point where we're going to either remember the gospel, remember who Jesus is, remember what God's word says, say tether to it, obey it, follow it, or we're going to forget it deny it. And what we're seeing is that generation, uh, in my generation, we're seeing like a generational apostasy going on. People leaving the faith. Many of you know people who are no longer Christians. They grew up Christians uh, or, or they, they were Christians and y'all walked with Jesus together. Now they are no longer Christians. They, they, they came out of a generation that assumed the gospel. That they didn't cling to the gospel. They didn't believe the gospel. Now they've walked away from it. Some have even denied it. Some have even turned into opponents of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the, it's very important that we remember, we call to mind, we remember uh, God's word, we remember what the Bible says that Jesus has done for us. So today, uh, to, it may serve as a, as a bit of a reminder for us about the, uh, of who Jesus is, the person and work of Jesus. And so if it is a reminder, I don't want you to take the position of, of, of someone who's just, they, they hear the reminder, like, oh, I know that. Check, I know that. I, I, I know that information. I could care less if you know the information if you don't cherish the information. 
It, like imagine you're you're in a relationship uh, with someone you you claim to love, and and you you just like that you say you love them, but your heart doesn't really love them. Like it doesn't matter what words you say, it doesn't matter what ideas you believe. The question is, do you cling to, cherish, really believe the thing that you you are reminded of? You were you, you're claiming to to say. If you say you're a Christian, I hope that today you would you would fall more in love with Jesus, the Christ. As you remember the, his person, his work, all that he has done. Additionally, if you're a guest with us today, this, 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 this passage today and this message will serve as a foundation for you to know about a little bit more about who we are. We're unapologetically Jesus-Bible-preaching preach, people. And so we typically go verse by verse through books of the Bible. Right now we're in 1 Corinthians. And so he says this. He says, he says I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preach to you. And so I'm gonna, we're going to preach. It's what we do here. We preach the Bible. We don't edit the Bible. We proclaim the Bible. We don't say, this is what, here's a good talking point. Here's something, may I suggest to you about what God's Word says. Consider it. No, we say God's Word says it. We must either receive it or reject it. We must believe it and obey it or, or, or hear it and move on from it as if we, uh, in, in disbelief and our unbelief. The gospel of Jesus does not, is not a call to contemplate merely, but to make a decision. Choose today who you will serve. Will it be the God of the nations? The gods that your friends and family and other people out in our city worship where they spend their time, their talent, their treasure serving? Or will it be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? His name's Jesus, the God of the Bible. Who will you worship? Preaching gets to the heart of this idea of, of how will you respond? Will you respond in faith and obedience? And the one whom is preached, we preach the gospel, the good news of the person and work of Jesus. And gospel does mean good news. That's literally what the word means. It's news, however. It's news. And news is, is, is meant to either be received or rejected. That's what news is, right? Everyone wants to hashtag fake news, but that, that, that's fine. You're rejecting the news when you're doing that, right? That, let's be honest. That's what that means. When it comes to the gospel of Jesus, do you hear it and then do you receive it or do you reject it? He says they received it. He says, I preached it to you, which you received. You received it. They received the gospel. What does that mean? They believed it. They heard the news that Jesus died in their place for their sins. They heard that he rose from the dead uh, victoriously conquering Satan, sin, death, and the grave. And they believed it. That's what it means to receive it. I receive, I believe it. I trust it. I, I agree with the news. Do you agree with the, with the news of Jesus? And then he says that uh, he, he, they, they received it and they, they which they stand. They stand in it. They remain in it. They're, they're remaining steadfast in it, this news. They're not wandering from it. They're not drifting away. They're, they're, they're remaining. They're staying steadfast. They're clinging close to this news of the person and work of Jesus. He says, and which by you are being saved. What I want us to see here is the news of the person and work of Jesus implies that you are a sinner and that you need saving. We all need a savior. We need saving. He says, this news uh, saves you. It saves you. I need you to see here today that I, no matter your background, your good works, your good politics, whatever you think is good about you cannot save you. The right thinking 
can't save you. The right voting can't save you. The right uh, opinions can't save you. None of that can save you. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can save you. He says that this good news of the person and work of Jesus is what saves them. Not a kind heart, not their religion, not their background, not their upbringing. Nothing can save them but Jesus. Your rebellion against God can't save you, and your works to earn his love can't save you. You need to trust in the news of Jesus dying in your place for your sins, and believing in that, that saves you. That saves you. Nothing you can do, you can't earn it, but you, you indeed must be saved. And this is really good news, that you can't earn your salvation. It means that all of you who are trying really, really, really hard to, to please God, and if you don't please Him, then, then, you're, then you're just so miserable with your own self, and you're trying to earn salvation. You can't do enough to, to earn your salvation. Jesus has done enough on your behalf. Trust in Him for salvation, for He is the only one who can save sinners. And this is what we stay, that we stay tethered to. This is what we stand in, because you will not stand in judgment day with your good works, your good church attendance, how many days you served, how much you gave, you won't stand as here's proof of what I did, God, accept me into your kingdom. You will not stand on that basis. But for those in Christ who stand on the righteousness of Christ, you will, you will come forward, yes, with your works, yes, with all that you've done. But you will not be saved based upon those. You'll be, you'll be saved based off what you stand on. And that's the person and work of Jesus. His righteousness, because he died in your place for your sins. So you, get, you receive what, what, you, what he deserved because he received what you deserved. Therefore, we must hold fast to this, this the gospel, this good news, he says. Hold fast to it. Cling to it. He says, lest we believe in vain. Unless you believe in vain, he says. And so we must stand on this, this unchanging, uneditable gospel of Jesus. The, the, the cling to it, hope in, believe it that Jesus saves sinners. And so this is why we talk about a lot here at the well. Uh, one of our aim, our aim is to follow Jesus. That's the chief aim, is to follow Jesus with all our heart, mind, and strength. We want to follow Jesus. We want to obey Jesus. But sin distorts that reality. So we got to fight sin, namely sin indwelling in our own hearts. Sin that tells us that the gospel isn't good news. Sin that tells us that, that there are other saviors. Sin that tells us that, that maybe God doesn't have the best uh, for us. We fight against the indwelling sin, lust, the pride of our own heart. We fight together in, in the context of community in order to continue to fulfill the mission Christ has given us, is which we will get to at the very end. That's where we're headed. But I, I want you to see here, I don't want you to believe in vain. The Apostle Paul doesn't want the, the, the Corinthian Christians to believe in vain. And so this is why we are so passionate about the gospel. This is why we're so passionate about preaching. We, we must not be a people who forget what God has done. We must remember it, cling to it, hold tight to it, proclaim it, because it's the most important news in all of human history. That's what we see next. Verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, but I also received that Christ died 
in our, our, for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures and was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures. This is the most important news in all human history. He says, I delivered to you of, of, of first importance. This is so important that I brought this news to you first. If you remember back in, in the beginning of, of, of 1 Corinthians, he says that I, I came to you proclaiming the, the gospel and proclaiming the, the crucifixion of Jesus. He says, I decided to know nothing among you but Christ and Christ crucified. Remember he said that's where he started the book and he ends the book with the gospel. The gospel's the, the, the book ends and it's the, the message that ebbs and flows through it all. Jesus Christ crucified for sinners. And this is this news that he, he, he sees as so important. It's the most important news in all of human history. And he says that he received it. He, said, he says, I received it. It, it, I, I delivered to you a message that I first received. And then what do we see back in, in, in verse uh, 1 and 2? He says that they received it. So Paul was not a Christian. He became a Christian. He received the news. Some of you uh, are new Christians. You, re- you just received the news. Some of you may, may not be Christians, and you have yet to receive the news and believe the news. But he received the news. He believed the news. He told the news, and the Corinthians received it and believed it as well. He says, therefore, I'm, I'm telling you this news because it's so important. It changed my life. It changed my life. Paul received it. The Corinthians received it. And if you're a Christian in here today, you've received it. You've received it. And it's the most important news in all of human history. And he says that this news was actually foretold in, in the Scriptures. Accord, Jesus died in accordance to the Scriptures, and he rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. What he is saying is that the Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is absolutely trustworthy. It foretold of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And let me tell you this. If Jesus did, didn't die and he didn't raise from the dead, then you could discount the entire Bible and say it's not, it's, it, it is historically inaccurate. But rather, what happened? Everything Jesus said would happen, happened. To validate the scriptures. Moreover, over 300 prophecies were fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus. 300 things and more that God said, hey, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be fulfilled through my son, Jesus, and it happened. Like you can take these to the bank historically. These are accurate testimonies. And he says all this happened according to God's word. God is trustworthy. I want you to, where Christians are prone to forget the good news of Jesus, but we're prone to forget that God has written to us and spoken to us through his word. We're prone to forget that the scriptures testify to Jesus, that we're told in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of Christ. How many, of you, how many Christians go through their day struggling in their faith and don't open up God's word? If you're a Christian and you're struggling in your faith and you're not daily reading, meditating on, running to God's word, seeking his face through the scriptures, then you are, you are opting out of the only thing that can give you faith. You know what we call that? Foolish. Foolish. And some of you are like, man, I forgot that that's what it does. We all forget 
They all forget. We need that reminder that we're prone to forget. We're prone to be fools. We're prone to to miss out on the most important news in all of human history that God has spoken to us in the last days we see in Hebrews through his son, Jesus Christ, and it's bound and written and we have it before us. And And if you want to hear a word from God, just open up the word of God and hear God speak. He has spoken. And the scriptures, they testify to Jesus they point us to Jesus. Jesus himself says that the scriptures uh, in, in, in John 5, 39 says that they're about him. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Really? Even the Old Testament? Even the crazy stuff? Absolutely. It's about Jesus. Some of you, maybe that lights a fire under you to go read the Old Testament and go like, hey, let me figure out how this, this passage connects to Jesus. Maybe that gives life to some of your, your, your Bible study. Like, man, I want to I see this. Go, go try it. Go figure out. Go study the scriptures and, and see how it all points to Jesus. Either points to his first coming, it's either an, then it's an account of his life and ministry, or it talks about the implications of his coming and in, anticipates his second coming. The whole book is not about you. It's about Jesus. So he says this. That, that the scriptures have testified to these things. And, the, and it says that he that testified that, that Christ died. First thing I want us to see about this is that Jesus is God. That's what the word Christ implies. Christ is not his last name. It's a title. It means anointed one or it means chosen one. And Jesus, the name is a derivative of Joshua, which means God of salvation. So literally Jesus' name, it means he's the chosen one to bring about salvation for God's people. Jesus continually throughout the scriptures, unapologetically, emphatically, consistently claimed to be God. It's one of the reasons why they wanted to kill him. Because he made himself, they said, quote, equal to God. He said he is God. He says before Abraham was I was, I am, I am God, Yahweh, I am, he and I are the same, is what he, he said through the scriptures. And that infuriated the religious leaders, so much so they sought to kill him. But before we get into that, uh, I want us to see this, this reality of, of, of who Jesus says he is. He says he is God. And so no other religious leader has ever claimed that. No other religious leader has ever claimed to be God. They may have claimed to hear from God or to see a vision from God or to or be visited uh, uh, by an angel of God. But no religion in, in human history, where, where the religious leader claimed that he himself was the Messiah, the, the, the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one, God to save his people, but Jesus. C.S. Lewis says in, in, in light of that, we have to conclude one of three things, that he is either a liar, he is a straight lunatic, or he's indeed Lord. Just think about this for a moment. A guy shows up, and he says that he is, uh, he, he is God in the flesh, that he came to die in the place of sinners and raised from the dead. And he says, actually, we wrote a book a while back, and it, and it claims that. So the book t- says it. He says it. And then he, he goes forward, and he, he dies, but he doesn't rise from the dead. What is he? Liar. Liar. Also, you could say he's a lunatic because the dude showed up and claimed he was God. That dude's kind of crazy, right? Like, like imagine your best friend. Do you have a best friend? Maybe you have one. And they showed up and said, hey, guess what? I'm God. 
you'd be like, no, you're not. Like, I know you. Like, you are actually not God. What's interesting about Jesus, however, is that there's been historically, when it comes to historical accuracy around the person and work of Jesus, no historian ever claimed that Jesus was crazy in any stretch of the imagination. Like, Muhammad, definitely historians were like, this the guy was, was on edge. Like, he, he wasn't all there mentally. Uh, and so other guys, Joseph Smith is what, like, other cult leaders, for sure, looking at them historically, they're, they're sketchy as far as their historical background and upbringing. And this is all this is 100% uh, true. Jesus, no one, all he says, we don't believe him. We don't like what he's saying. I don't know what to do with the resurrection, but we just, can we, can we silence it? Can we kill the Christians? Can we, can we, can we cancel the culture so that it, the news doesn't go forward? That's all they could do with Jesus. So he's either a liar, meaning what he says was not true. The problem is that it came to pass, so he's not a liar. Is he a crazy lunatic or is he actually Lord, Christians believe that Jesus Christ is God. He is our Lord. And our Lord, the scriptures say that he was, he, he was killed, he was crucified and buried according to the scriptures. Jesus died and was buried historically, accurately, horrifically, brutally executed and murdered on a cross in our place for our sins. See, the crucifixion of Jesus is the most horrific day in all of human history. The day that we killed God. We crucified him. See, Jesus was sinless. He lived a life we could not live. See, we sin all the time. He sinned none of the time. He was righteous completely. He worshiped God with his whole heart, his whole mind, his whole strength. He loved his neighbor as himself. He fulfilled the law and the prophets perfectly. Yet he was sold out by his friends. Like, I could understand some of us, and you know, like we're, our friends, like, man, we're not, like, hey, no one's perfect, so I could see that you selling me out. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I made you mad. Like, I frustrated you, you know, you sell me out, right? We all have a Judas, that's okay. But like, but like they, Jesus was perfect, sinless, did nothing wrong, was always good, benevolent. He healed people. Like, people were sick. Like, imagine the guy who's healing everybody. Like, they, we're just going to take him out because, you know, our, our drug sales need to go up. Like, so we got to keep those guys alive. I'm just kidding. That's what, just what happens, right? Like, we want to cancel Jesus, kill Jesus. Why? Because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be God. And in, in our world, in our day, we still want to crucify the idea of Christ because we ourselves want to be God. We don't want any other God. We want to be God. That's the heart of the sinner. The, sin, uh, the sinful heart of man wants to be our own God. Do what's right in our own sight. Don't want to submit to God, his word, will, or his ways. Want to create our own will and our own ways. And so Jesus, was di- Jesus died and was buried. And he was, he, 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 his death happened through crucifixion. Crucifixion is the most shameful and horrific death a human could, could encounter. Before one is crucified, crucified, being crucified, you die from asphyxiation, which means you suffer and bleed out uh, blood into your lungs and you die out on a cross. But before he was even put on the cross, what happened was that the Roman soldiers gathered, the, the, the Jews convicted him, brought him to the Romans, and asked that they would publicly execute him. The Romans had no beef with Jesus at this moment, uh, and they wanted to wash their hands clean, but, the, but his own religious group wanted him dead. 
So his friends sold him out. And then the Romans, in order to mock him, because they didn't care about him, he wasn't their God, to mock him, what they did was they beat him through, a, through a, something called scourging, where they took a whip that likely had uh, nails, had, had bones, had glass woven in, in the whip so that when they hit the back of Jesus, they could flay him like he's, uh, like flay his flesh. And so that his whole back was exposed, intestines exposed bones exposed likelihood of, of the whip wrapping around and grabbing the face marring the face there's a great chance that happened isaiah says that he was marred beyond human likeness so when you looked at him you couldn't even tell it was jesus based off of the beating he took even in his face and after being totally exposed an open womb they took a purple robe and wrapped it around him to mock him to say you're not Lord, you're just a lunatic. We don't, we don't worship you, we're going we're gonna to fake worship you. And after they got done mocking him, after they pressed the crown of thorns on his brow and pierced his head so that the blood dripped from his, his, his scalp, they then ripped off the purple robe. Imagine an open womb so, so severe being reopened after being closed. Normally that would have killed someone, at least caused them to pass out. Jesus had not finished his work. He continued. He was alive still because he had a job to do, and that was to die in the place of sinners on a cross according to the Scriptures. And on the cross, what we see is what the theologians would call the great exchange. Jesus literally takes the place for sinners. What you and I deserve is the death Jesus received. We, we deserve what Jesus received. See, we, we are sinners by nature and choice. We've rebelled against the God of the Bible. Romans 3 says that there's none righteous, no, not one. No one even thinks does good. They think they do good, but they don't. Nothing we can do to, we can, there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. Someone's got to atone for our sin. Jesus says, I'll take one for the team. I'll take your sin, all of your sin, your past sin, your present sin, your future sin, all your sin, not just your sin of those listening here today, not just those who would hear online, but every person who live and will live on the face of planet earth, he dies in their place for their sins. Eternal God becomes man so that he can take the eternal punishment of man. This is the gospel. This is the news we believe. That Jesus dies in our place for our sins so that their exchange can happen. That he took our place and then through faith in Jesus, we now get his place. Righteousness, salvation, forgiveness, redemption, inheritance, heaven, new heaven, new earth, reigning forevermore is ours. Through faith in Jesus though. And if it wasn't for his death in our place, we would have no hope. So I'm remembering this is such good news, and it's the, we must cling to it. It's the only thing that can save. See, the cross of Christ, Jesus dying for you and being buried for you, is a demonstration of God's love for you. See, the act of, of, of the, the emblem of shame and suffering on the cross now becomes the instrument of salvation for the sinner. This is good news. 
He continues in verse 4. He says that he was buried and was, sorry, he was, so he's buried and was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. See, Jesus is alive. See, Jesus is not dead. He was dead. He was crucified. And on the scene, he was dead, pronounced dead. They took him off the cross. They put him in a tomb. They sealed up the tomb. But he is no longer there. He is alive. He is alive. He says that he was buried and was raised on the third day. Again, according to the scriptures. Just imagine that. Just imagine that for a moment. You, you, you get to see a violent criminal terroristic type of attack. That's what happened. The, the cross, the Roman cross, the Roman crucifixion was like a, a public beheading of, of sorts. We, you witness this. You see them take the guy down. You see them put him in the tomb. You go to the funeral. Just imagine this for a moment. You go to the funeral. You see them seal the tomb. And three days later, you see him out on the seashore cooking up some fish and eating. Just imagine this for a moment. Like Jesus shows up to your house, knocks on your door, like the, or the person you saw, you were at their funeral, they show up the next day. I'm not talking about some weird thing where someone, you know, puts their loved one's Facebook picture up as their new profile picture and it freaks you out. I'm talking about actually the real person showing up to your home. Like you were like, I saw them take you. Put them in the tomb. Close it up. Like I saw it. Just so, can you imagine that for a moment? And now I see you alive. This is what happened. He appears to Cephas. That's Peter. It's one of the 12 disciples. That's Jesus' friend. He sees him. And then to the 12. Then the rest of the disciples see him. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. It went public. And most of them were still alive. The people are still alive who saw him. Though some have fallen asleep. Meaning they, some have passed away. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Like Jesus is not just alive, he's saying, but he like shows up and starts hanging out with people. See, what I want us to see is that we know, we know where the tomb of every single major world religious leader lies. Judaism, Abraham, there's a, there's a shrine, there's a monument, there's a, like we, we know where Abraham was buried. Abraham, father of the, the, the Hebrew faith, we know where Abraham's buried. We know where the patriarchs of Israel are. We, 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 we know where they're buried. Muhammad, we know where Muhammad is buried. There's a mosque on, over the place in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a shrine dedicated to the false prophet Muhammad. The, and people can go visit to this day. You can go visit Abraham's tomb. You can go visit Muhammad's tomb. You can go visit where the Buddha lies. You can go visit where Joseph Smith lit, or, uh, is now living in the tomb with the, with the worms. Like, you can go visit the spot where these religious leaders are, decaying and dead. But where is the tomb of Jesus? It's empty. We also don't know where it is. But the Bible does record historically where it was at first. It was, he was buried in a rich man's tomb, his, his name, according to the scriptures, but also to the, according to the prophecy, that, that there was this rich man, his name was Joseph of Arimathea, and he had a tomb, and he gave it to Jesus, and they, they knew the dude, the public figure knew where Jesus was, was buried. That's why the Romans were guarding the tomb. 
After the resurrection of Jesus, they forgot about it. Why? Because no one cares about a tomb of a guy who's not in it. See, the tombs of Buddha, the tombs of Muhammad, Joseph Smith, guys like uh, Abraham, these tombs of these great religious leaders are memorials for the dead. Our God is not dead. He is alive. He is alive. We don't know. You can go to Israel right now and you will not, no one knows where Jesus was buried. Because it did not matter. We don't memorialize the, the, the grave of a man who has no grave. Our God was dead, as the scriptures had said, but he is now alive. And then he starts appearing to people. It's amazing. Shows up to Peter. Do you remember the last scene uh, 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 with Peter and, and Jesus? Jesus is being hauled off to be crucified or be tried and then eventually crucified. And Peter, the, the, everyone around him goes, hey, I know you. You're with, the, you're with Jesus, right? He denies him three times. He says, nope, not, not me. I don't know that guy. Three times he looks at Jesus and says, not associated with that guy. I'm a, he's, he was afraid of being lumped in with Jesus and, and then being crucified next to Jesus. So he says, no, I don't identify as a friend of Jesus. And then Jesus, raised from the dead, shows up. Just imagine it, like, hey man, I know, hey, how's it going? How's your faith, buddy? Like how, you know, I kept saying I was going to raise from the dead and like, you know, kind of sold me out there for a moment, but hey, it's okay. You want breakfast? Let's talk. Peter moves from, from this, this man who had great uh, uh, fear and was a great coward and would not stand and say that he wanted to be identified with Jesus upon seeing the resurrected Jesus and then later in Acts receiving the Holy Spirit preaches the first message of the church and he stands up and proclaims loudly for the people to repent of their sins and trust Jesus. And he talks about the crucifixion, the execution, the murder of Jesus. The one thing he was once ashamed of is now courageously defending that would not have happened if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus and the giving of the Holy Spirit. He appeared to the disciples. One of the disciples uh, was, was Thomas, who is also known for being a doubter. He literally said, I won't believe in Jesus, that Jesus is alive unless I see his hands, his scarred hands, and his pierced side. So Jesus shows up. He actually walks through a wall. Kind of crazy scene, but shows up and says, hey, buddy, look at my hands. Look at my side. So you had, you had the doubting, the, the, the coward skeptic, and then you had the, the, the doubting man, Thomas. If that wasn't enough to prove that Jesus was alive, 500 plus people, he went public. He goes, all right, who all was at the funeral? Let's all go to those people. Like, where are they at? They're outside. Let's go there. Five, more than 500 plus people at one time. And he says, many of those people are still alive. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, just go ask that guy down the street. He was there. He got to see Jesus on the cross. He got to see Jesus in the grave. He got to see Jesus, you know, walking around. That guy had lunch with him. That guy went to the barbecue. That guy, he, Jesus went to ask for dinner. Jesus was on earth for 40 days after his resurrection. Like he, he did a lot of hanging out. His calendar was completely free because the work had been done. He was just hanging out with people. Just if this doesn't solidify and validate for you the resurrection of Jesus, I don't know what will. If you're not a Christian in here today and you're going, uh, well, I don't believe in the resurrection, I want you to hear this. The burden of proof is on you to prove the resurrection didn't happen. History tells us that it did. You don't have a tomb. 
You have a man who's raised from the dead talking to everyone. Historically, it's been validated and written. And then the people alive on which this was written, uh, uh, who saw Jesus, were still alive as it was written. So they could go out and pronounce that it was not true. But they did not. They continued to herald that it was true. And therefore, the, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, that he dies for sinners and he is alive, continue to spread rapidly throughout the entire world. And the fact that you're even here today because this news is legitimate and valid. Jesus is alive, so this should give us great confidence and assurance. And if you doubt it, you doubt history. You doubt God in nothing that you believe matters, actually, if you doubt the resurrection of Jesus. There's no book more historically accurate than the Bible. There's nothing, and that's a whole other sermon. I'm going to save that for afterwards if you want to talk about that. What I want you to see here, because Jesus is alive, no matter what you're going through right now, it's going to be okay. If you're a Christian, it's going to be okay. If Jesus is alive and he's, he's conquered sin, Satan, death, in the grave, he, he's risen, he's defeated death, he can defeat what you're going through. What are you going through? Financial problem? Marriage problem? Emotional problems? Relational problems? What, 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 crisis of faith? Where are you at in your life where you say, like, I don't know that I can overcome this obstacle? Mental health, like, I don't know if I can overcome it. No one thought Jesus was going to overcome death, and he did. I want you to see this. If Jesus can raise from the dead, which he did, he can help you, he, he can overcome whatever you're going through. Not help you overcome it, but he himself can overcome it in and through you. No matter what you're going through, there's hope because Jesus is alive. The news keeps getting better. Next, Jesus still saves sinners. This is great news. Jesus still saves sinners. That means for you, if you know someone who, who doesn't know Jesus yet, there's still hope. If you are here today and you're not sure if you can be saved, there's hope. Let's hear about this man here, the Apostle Paul. Verse 8, he says, last of all, so Jesus appeared to every, all those people, he says, last of all, he appeared to me as one and timely born, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, why? Because I persecuted the church of God. You know what Paul's job was before he became a Christian pastor, missionary, church planter? Terrorist. Like, that was his job. He was, he, he was a he literally, his job was to sift out where the Christians were meeting so they could organize raids to take the women, the children, to, to, to stone, to beat the religious leaders, to kill, to execute the Christians, to, to rave havoc on the church is literally what it, we're told in the scripture that, that Paul did. Just the stuff you see right now going on in the Middle East, imagine that happening in, in Christian context, and it is happening in Christian context in different places, but, but then the, 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 per, the persecutor gets saved. Like they meet Jesus. The way Paul got saved was he was riding his horse one day on the, on, the, on the path to go persecute some Christians. Jesus shows up, knocks him off his horse, and blinds him. That's like a good fight, right? Jesus shows up, you want to kill me? I'm going to knock you out, and I'm going to blind you. Now we'll talk. All right, put your weapon down, let's talk. Jesus talks to him, blinds him, and then saves him. And then commissions him. He's like, all right, I was going to go start killing Christians. Now I'm going to start preaching. What do I do next? All right, I got to go find some, I gotta go find some Christians. 
And he goes and finds them. And imagine that prayer meeting. Like they show up. They're not going to pray at the end. And it, like no one bowed their head. No one closed their eyes. Like Paul was there. Like we don't trust this guy. Rightfully so. They shouldn't trust him at first. Paul had to work through some time of being validated that, that Jesus really did save him. He really was converted. Like it took some time and that's okay. But uh, the point here Paul is making is that Jesus can save anyone. If he can save Christian killers, he can save you. He can save you. No matter what you've done. No matter the past sin, what you're currently stuck in, sin that's been done to you in the past, sin you've committed, there's nothing you can do. You can't out the mercy and grace of Jesus. There's nothing that you've done or has been done to you that the gospel of Jesus can't overcome. No, it does take faith and repentance and trust in Jesus. I don't want you to see anyone can be saved. And Jesus is still saving sinners. See, Christianity wasn't popular in Paul's day. Like, it wasn't popular. It wasn't, obviously, he was a Christian. So he knew what it, he knew that converting to Jesus, what he meant, what, what might happen to him, right? Like, he's like, I used to harm Christians. Now I want to become one. I wonder what they're going to do to me. Like, he's going to be the first, right? Uh, the target is on his back. Just imagine that if this, again, doesn't prove the resurrection, why would a guy whose job was to persecute the church start planting churches? Unless he was convinced that it was real and he was wrong and he changed. It's exactly what Paul is saying. I, this, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I was a persecutor of the church, but Jesus saved me. Church, see this. He saved me, and he can still save you, and he's still saving sinners. He's taking people who are sinners, and he's changing them, making them new. And so is there someone in your life that you, you want to come to faith? Don't give up on them. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop sharing the gospel with them. Don't give up. There's hope for them. Jesus still saves sinners. Moreover, I want you to see this, that Jesus saves sinners, but he transforms them into new creations. Yes, we still sin, but we get new identities as Christians. See, Paul started this book of 1 Corinthians by calling them saints. If you remember what has happened through this book, they were getting drunk at communion. Wild, right? Like they were uh, also, uh, they were arguing, they were fighting, they were suing one another. These was the church people, this was, they were suing one another, taking each other to court. One guy was sleeping around with another lady in the church that wasn't his wife, and it was his stepmom. Like, it was wild. And Paul addresses them not, as, not according to their sin, but as saints. He says, repent of your sin, act like saints. That's what the whole book's about. The point being, though, is that upon salvation in Jesus, your identity has changed. You're, you are a new creation. You're a son or daughter of God. You are no longer identified as a sinner. Though you may sin, your new identity is, is as a saved saint, made holy by God through the person and work of Jesus. I like to call us, we're the king's kids. That's what we are. The king has, has, has adopted us into his family. Jesus still saves sinners not a Christian today, he can save you. If you are, then he wants to sustain you and empower you by his grace. That's what we, what we see next. God's grace empowers his mission. Verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By, by his grace towards me, but his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, meaning all the apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether, it was then, uh, whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. This is awesome. Kind of sounds arrogant though, right? At first, hey, 
I worked harder than all of them. Like, I, I got more done than anybody. He, I, he wrote 13 books of the Bible, maybe 14 some, but he wrote a lot. He accomplished a lot. But he's looking at his life and he's going, hey, it really wasn't me. I don't get the credit. I don't get the glory God does. It was, it was the grace of God working through me. See, Christians far too often only see grace as what can save them. See, God's unmerited, unmerited favor to save sinners. That is grace. You didn't deserve salvation. Jesus saved you. That's grace. I say it often. There's more mercy and grace in Jesus than there is sin in you. Eclipses your sin, removes your sin, washes your sin away, forgives you. That's grace. Also, Christians have gotten better now of going, well, I also need grace to sustain me. Absolutely. So grace saves us and grace sustains us, meaning that grace keeps us being Christian. It, can, it continues to empower us to believe and, and endure to the end. But I want us to see something. What he's talking about here is that we also need grace. Grace is also a power to continue the mission, to get some stuff done. See, I'm not, he's not simply talking about the grace that saves and the grace that sustains, though we believe in both. He's, he's talking about the grace of God to accomplish the work of God and the mission of God in the city in which God has called him to. Same is true for us. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers the mission. This is what he means by the grace of God was not, or, uh, is not in vain towards me because I worked harder than anyone. I got, see, Holy Spirit, work, Holy Spirit empowered ministry is a, is a type of work ethic that looks like a lot of work. You look at it, man, I'm tired. Got a lot done. Well, God, the Holy Spirit empowered me to do this. You ever feel like this as a, as a, as a parent? Like, I can't, I don't know if I can get through today. You can't on your own strength. You need the Holy Spirit. You need empower. You need empowerment in order to get through it. Then tomorrow you need it again. And the next day you need it again. And you need it again and again and again and again and again. So far too often Christians are so lazy that when it comes to hard work, they shrink. Ah, oh, I don't want to be a legalist. Don't worry. You're probably nowhere near becoming a legalist. Like get some stuff done. Get some stuff done. Not in your strength, but when your strength fails, in the power and grace of God. You need the Holy Spirit to get some stuff done. You need to be empowered to get work done. See, God's grace does forgive you when you fail. He does forgive you when you fail. That is grace. But God, the Holy Spirit, also gives grace to empower you to do what you cannot do, to be what you cannot be on your own. When you look at the scriptures and you see what God has called you to, you cannot do that on your own, but you can do it by the mercy and grace of God. And so far too often, this is how Christians think. I can't do what God has called me to do. Thank God there's grace, so I don't have to do it. I just live like a non-Christian, but call myself a Christian, and we get nothing done. We lose all the time. The gospel doesn't go forward. The, the, the culture is, is, Satan's winning the culture wars, and you know, but we believe we have grace. That kind of attitude is unbiblical and I'm being recorded. I got to not say that actually, you know. <laughs> See, I need grace to muzzle my mouth sometimes. I need us to see this. If we want to do what Jesus said to do was make disciples of all nations, to leave lives and legacies that make a difference in this life, you need a spirit that doesn't come from you. You need the Holy Spirit. 
See, what Paul is saying, what he's saying when he says, I work harder than anyone, he says, my life has made a difference. He says, my life made a difference. I was not a Christian. I was killing Christians, and it was, I was not making a difference for the cause of Christ. I was, I, was ma- I was wasting my life, but now my life is not wasted. I worked hard. I made up for the, some of those years where I was, I was, a, I was a pagan or, or I was a religious zealot persecuting the church of Christ. My, wife, my life was not wasted. When, in, the, in the few years I had, I worked really hard. I got a lot done. I made a difference for the cause of Christ. But hey, it wasn't me. It was the power of Christ in me. Don't glorify in me, but work hard like me and use the same spirit I used, God the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that he's given each and every one of you. This is what he is saying here. And see, church, I want our lives, I want our legacies, I want you, your family, all of you to make a difference in this life, in this city, in this culture, in this day. I want you to do that. I don't want you to be a part of the generation that just assumes the gospel and then your, 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 your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, they don't worship the same God as you. I'm really passionate about you worshiping Jesus now and you cultivating a legacy of those who follow you through discipleship of both your kids and those who come to faith in Jesus in this church, that they would continue to follow Jesus their whole lives. They would fight their sins as long as they live. They would fulfill the mission God has called them to. And that would reproduce. 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 And I really, really, really believe that's possible. Why? Because of the grace of God. Like, how did we get here today if that didn't keep going? Like, how did we get here today if that didn't keep going? Do you think about the next generation, the generation after that, the generation after that? How are they going to be Christians three, four generations from now? You. You're the only answer. Christianity lives and dies with you. With you. Thank God. And so the question the Christian has to ask is like, okay, uh, then God, you got to do something. Yes. He wants to empower you to do his ministry. This is literally what Jesus has called us to. Grace doesn't just mean you have forgiveness when you sin. It means that you also have power to overcome sin and temptation. To, to, to not walk in your, your, your shame and your guilt, but be empowered to live a life as a new person, a new creation, as, as the, the man or woman God has made you to be. To, and then to have a mission that, that is successful, that is fruitful. Uh, as In John 15, Jesus says that the Father's will is that you would produce much fruit. This is not impossible. This is actually just Christian. But it's impossible in your strength. So every day you got to wake up and go, I'm gonna, I got I to gotta have a little tenacity here and get to work even though I don't, don't, have, I don't feel like it. See, here's why. The grace of God doesn't, that empowers you for your life and ministry doesn't start working until you get to work. Till you start, he has no grace and power for you for just sitting there. Step out in faith, the grace will be there. Step out in faith tomorrow, the grace will be here. Continue to step out day after day after day, year after year after year. Let the Spirit of God work in and through you. You'll look back on your life and go, like the Apostle Paul, like, whoa, we've, gone, we've planted churches, we've accomplished a lot. Look at all we've done. It wasn't us. It was God. It was the grace of God in us. 
Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he's, he's a, a, a great English preacher. He, one time, if you looked at his life and ministry, uh, he accomplished a lot. And one day someone said to him, hey, Spurgeon, you have accomplished, you, you in one day do what one man can, what two men do in one day. So like, you're, you do two men work, the work of two men in one day. How do you do so much? And he looked back at him and said, do you not know? Do you not remember? There's two of us, him and the Holy Spirit. It's not you. God, the Holy Spirit, is in you. Let Him work. Let Him work. That means you got to work hard, get out there, do something. Let Him empower you. Don't rely on your own strength. Pray, depend, plead, cling to Him. When, you're, when, you, when you sin, repent. Remember the mercy and grace of Jesus. Keep marching forward. Don't forget this news that we have proclaimed. So ask the questions of yourself. What can I do? How can I serve? How can I give? How can I play a part of what God is doing here in San Antonio? How can I join the mission? How can I be a part of it? How can I really do it and then take those steps to do it? It's really worth it, and San Antonio really needs it. We could either be a part of a legacy where we look back and go, people got saved in our city because we stepped up. Or we could be like every other generation that sat silently and watch the, the Christianity decline. Oh, the glory days. That's exactly what Israel did. This is exactly what Christians in our nation have done. Will you stand in this good news that was preached? Will you hold fast to it? Or will you believe in vain? What we're going to do before Pastor Alex comes up and leads us through communion is I want to call our attention to the way we began this sermon. He's, we, we began this by saying, he said, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Each week we have an opportunity to be literally reminded of the good news of the finished work of Jesus Christ through the partaking, eating of the bread and drinking of the cup and communion. It's literally what we get to be reminded of each week. So as you go to the table today, may you remember who Jesus is and what he has done, whom he has done it for and why he has saved us and sent us for a mission. Think about the whole thing. You're a sinner, you need a savior. Be reminded of the grace of God. Be reminded that the grace of God sustains you. And then be reminded that the grace of God compels you and sends you out on the mission field where you live, work, and play for the glory of God, for the good of his church, for the life and legacy and lineage of the gospel going forward so that we could be like those of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, worshiping the same God from generation to generation to generation, that God, his name is Jesus. My prayer is that we would see a wake of, of Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, not editing, not apostate Christians that would follow in our wake till Jesus returns. I believe he can do that because of the grace of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you, your grace empower us, like actually fill us and just not motivate us, empower us for, for, for the mission that you've called us to. May we right now remember your finished work, your, your sin-atoning sacrifice, and then may we rejoice in taking of communion, and may we leave here filled with your spirit, spirit ready to do all that you've called us to do this week. Lord, use us mightily for your name's sake, I pray, amen.